Hello and a warm welcome. I'm Armin Trost, professor at the Furtwangen University in Germany. And this is my series on human resources strategies, a real master course for advanced HR students, professionals and executives. This series is available on YouTube and on all podcatchers like iTunes or Spotify. All slides that support this series are available on my website. For more information, please read the description to this YouTube or podcast. I'd also like to refer to my book, Human Resources Strategies, available at most online bookstores. So, again, thanks for listening have fun and gain valuable insights into the fascinating world of HR strategies. Welcome back. This is the second episode about the structural and cultural context. And in this particular episode, We're going to talk about leadership and organization. Probably this is the more fascinating part, I suppose. And when it comes to leadership, we're going to talk about professional superiority. Who really has a clue? Uh, who is the master, so to speak? What is uh, the dominant leadership style? What kind of leadership do you have in your organization? And we're also going to talk about autonomy and self-regulation a bit. And when it comes to, to organization, we're going to talk about division of labor, task dynamic. Yeah? Do you work in um, separated ways or in teams and networks? And uh, the last thing, uh, it's something also very uh, crucial, is to whom people are dedicated. Uh, do they think rather in a vertical way or in a horizontal way? Okay, so that sounds uh, vague. <laughs> Let's... Be more specific and start with leadership. Um, here, when it comes to leadership, there is a very simple idea. And we use very often to, to make things a little bit clearer, we use the so-called T concept. Yeah, you might have heard about this, the T concept. You know how a T looks like? Yeah, It has a vertical uh, line and a, um, a horizontal line, the T. And... With this T, we can simply indicate for any person whether the person has more general knowledge. This is reflected by the horizontal bar or line or however you name it. And the expertise is indicated by the vertical bar or line. Okay, So some people are experts, have a very long vertical line but maybe a shorter horizontal line and then there are generalists they have a very broad or long horizontal line but a smaller vertical line you can, i guess you can imagine this okay well when we look back uh, and look into a very traditional working world so to speak um, and we ask ourselves how do managers look like supervisors executives We very often assume that executives and managers are both. They are experts in many fields and they are generalists. They have an overview, yeah, the horizontal line, big horizontal line, and they have much expertise, vertical line. I mean, they are the heroes. They know everything, right? The master. 
And how do the people look like? The ones they lead? Well, they, they are same T's, but significantly smaller. Right? They, they have a little bit general knowledge and a little bit expertise. So small T, big T. And the big T is, of course, the manager. That's why the manager is a manager, because he or she is a big T. Okay? So this is a very classical setting. And, I mean, in such a setting... What happens in such a setting? If you as an employee, if you have a question or a problem, what will you do? Okay, it's simple. You ask the boss. It's, it's, it's the best thing you can do because the boss has a clue. The boss has a better understanding about everything than yourself. So you better don't think by yourself. You better ask the boss because the, no, the boss knows it better. He or she is the master. He or she will tell you how to do things. Uh, he or she will make the decision for you. And, and that's a good thing. I mean, when, when you assume, when you, when, you, when you accept the idea that those who have the, 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 the most knowledge are those who are supposed to make decisions and solve problems, then it's the manager, right? So, so this is a very classical situation and but what we now see very very often in in modern working environments is that the t shape is changing in certain ways so managers are no more the big t's managers supervisors executives should have an overview so meaning you have a very broad horizontal line in the t uh, meaning you have much general knowledge, much overview, a long-term view, the big picture, the strategy in mind, the vision, you know, all those, all those big things. These, they have much expertise. So the employees have a long and deep vertical line in their teeth, but not so much general knowledge. Okay, so the people know things better. And Really, I mean that's a that's a very special situation. Imagine this very simple scenario: there is a manager asking an employee, "Hey, John, you are a software developer. How long will it take to to program this piece of software?" <laughs> yeah, and John says, "Well, it's two hundred days." Manager is surprised. Two hundred days? Really? I thought it's just fifty days. And the developer, John, says, no, 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 it's 200. And the manager asks, why is it 200? And the John will say, well, it's 200 because, you know, I could explain you, but you probably won't understand. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You, you, you already feel it, that this will require a different kind of leadership. If the ones you lead have more clue about the subject matter than you yourself as a manager. Okay. So... In, when we look at the uh, structural and cultural context, I would like to look at these two constellations, the first and the second. But there might be even a third constellation. And the third constellation is that there is no boss. There is no manager who has an overall view above all the employees. It might be more that you have equal experts you have a group of experts maybe in a team and one of these experts is is supposed to to lead this is what we for instance find in any faculty where you have 
many big T's, uh, deep T's with much expertise. I'm talking about professors. And, and when we look at faculties, you have one professor who acts as a dean. A dean is a kind of leader, but the dean is not superior in, in by any mean. He or she just has some specific responsibilities and will lead on the same eye level. So one of the experts is the leader. But, but this is a very, very special situation. I mean, we already find some orchestras, for instance, where you don't have any conductor. Yeah, that, that could work. I mean, those of you like, like myself uh, who, who played in a band know that you don't need a conductor. You can lead yourself, and it's not that nobody leads. There is always somebody who leads, but but it's changing. It's changing. It's a very dynamic process, very complicated, by the way. I don't want to go too deep into this. So this is the first criteria about leadership. And I think companies or even just areas must be clear about, do you have the first constellation or the second constellation? But, you know, this this will affect a lot of things uh, with regards to your HR strategy. Just just think about performance review. I mean, that's the most simple um, uh, thing here. If the manager is really superior by any mean, the manager can do a valid performance review. The manager is in a good position to tell an employee, well, look, this is how you're supposed to do things, but this is how you actually did it, and that was not good. And the manager can tell this because the manager has a clue about how things are done well. While if the employees are superior with regards to expertise, how could a manager judge or review the performance of the employees? I don't so say that it's not possible, at least when it comes to the outcomes or so, maybe. But it's significantly harder. Okay, Or, or think about learning. In, in, in the classic scenario, where the manager is the supermaster, the superhero, yeah, the mastermind, okay, the manager was also a kind of teacher. Um, and, and in the second constellation, Uh, the people do not learn so much from the manager. They learn from each other. One expert learns from another expert. I mean, this is what, what happened in, in, in the academic spheres. So professors learn from other professors. Experts learn from other professors, not from a superior mastermind. So this is just about performance review. This is just about learning. Uh, this can go on and on and on and on. I mean, this differentiation between two, these two different settings has so much effect on, on how your HR strategy must look like. And really, sometimes in, in oral exams, I, I very often do oral exams as a professor. Um, I just show these two pictures to a student in the oral exam and say, look, Left side, right side, these two different T's. There is not even a word on the picture, just lines. And I ask the student, okay, look at the difference between the two. Now, tell me as many implications for HR that come to your mind. And we can talk for hours, and oral exams do not last for, for hours, but it, you know, it's so, so fundamental. Okay, so this leads us to the second criteria about leadership and here i i talk about the dominant leadership role or leadership style however you name it it's it's, it's about the behavior of of leaders and uh, dominant means there is a kind of default setting um so before i go deeper into this maybe i i give you an overview about the different roles which i see and 
and this is based on uh, is a kind of adaption of an earlier leadership theory, which I really like uh, from Robert House. Um, and it describes different behaviors, different behaviors of, of leaders. But my model goes a little bit um, further. And I differentiate between four different roles. And an important question is, what are the dominant leadership roles in your organization? What kind of leaders do you find in your organization primarily? Okay, so the first role is the role of a boss. A boss, and I name it that way because boss, the word boss describes it pretty well. We all know what a boss is. The boss gives direction, controls, and the boss own, owns the responsibilities. And the boss tells you, look, this is how I want it. I want you to do it that way. Why? Because I say so. This is how bosses act. And this could work pretty well in certain settings, but in other settings, that's the, the worst thing you could do. So this is the boss, okay? Um, but, but there are also other roles, uh, like the coach. The coach is a very important role. A, a coach is a manager who always leaves the responsibility with the team or with those he or she le is leading. Um, or push back a responsibility. So how does that look like? If, if, if an employee or a team is asking a question, like, is that okay with you, manager? <laughs> is that okay? Yeah. Look, we have prepared here this piece of work. Manager, is that okay with you? A coach will always respond with a question, uh, what do you say? Is it okay? <laughs> so, coaches... Don't give answers. They just ask questions. They push back. Yeah. That's a very powerful way of leading because it forces people to take over responsibility and it forces, it encourages people to reflect, to think carefully. And if the team says, oh, we have a problem here, a coach will always respond saying, okay, what do you, what do you suggest? And, and why this way? Why not another way? Uh, have you considered the third option maybe? Why not the third option? What are the risks behind this option? How can you, how can you decrease your level of uncertainty? How could you do this? Think. So a coach always believes in the potential of the people and, 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 and has this deep assumption, implicit or explicit, that employees somehow know the answer. <laughs> okay, this is what coaches do, and it's a completely different uh, leadership behavior. So another behavior is, is is the behavior of a partner. A partner, if a manager acts like a partner, he or she will always share responsibility with the teams, and they primarily facilitate on same eye level. Meaning, if there is a problem, for instance, or if there is a decision to be made. Uh, the manager will always say, oh, hey guys, can we sit together and talk about this? I guess there's a problem. Do you share this idea that there is a problem? Okay, so let's, let's jointly sit together and jointly find, find uh, 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 a solution. Let's think about what we should do. So, so you hear it? It's always we, together, common. Yeah. Okay, there is a decision to be made. Uh, our partner will always ask, okay, what should we do? 
It's not what, what will I decide, what will we decide. And the partner also does not push back the responsibility. The partner is part of the team. I always say, okay, let's do this together. This is, by the way, the only behavior a dean can demonstrate. A dean, a dean cannot act as a boss. A dean can never act as a coach, uh, maybe a little bit. But it, the, the, the dominant leadership of a dean is always the one of a partner. Or at least this is what I what I recommend. Okay, there is a a fourth role. It's the what I call the enabler. The enabler. Uh, it's it's a version of of a mentor, and an enabler will always ask him or herself, okay, what what do I need to do so that the people are capable enough to find their own solution? What what do I need to do so that people, the teams, the employees by themselves can decide whether or not something is fine or not? Uh, I, 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 wa I want that the employees take over responsibility, but my role is to shape the environment, the infrastructure, make sure that they have the skills and competencies to leverage their full potential. That, that, that's the idea here. Okay, so we have the boss, the coach, the partner, and the enabler. And it's it's a very nice idea in an organization to look at okay, look at the look at the individual supervisors and let them let them estimate the extent to which they use these different roles. So if you have 10 points to share among these four roles, how would you share these four four points? Uh, some would say, well, sometimes I'm the boss, which is fine, one point boss. But primarily, I'm a coach. Okay, six points coach. And and sometimes, I'm a partner, two points. And sometimes, I'm a, an enabler. So, does that sum up to 10? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> okay. So, and and the thi here's the thing. When I look at HR, when I look at how HR tools, programs, systems are designed, and, and, and that does just take a look into an HR textbook. Look at this. I I really believe that most HR tools are built around the boss. They are built around the boss and are pretty much compatible with the boss, but not with the others. We're going to talk about this over and over again. I will refer to this model many, many times, as you will see. For instance, just when it comes to to um, performance review, and it was the old Douglas McGregor I, I, I mentioned already in the last episode who said the role of a judge, he means the boss, yeah, the role of a judge and the role of a counselor, the coach, is not compatible meaning you can never be both. You can never be a boss and a coach. It's not possible. If you try to be a boss and a coach yeah, to equal extents, then the boss will survive. So when, when you act like a coach or act like a partner or an enabler, you will never judge. You will not judge. But judging people is something that is required for many HR systems for instance, with performance review. And that makes performance review so so, so not compatible to current agile working environment. So we will go deep in it. I have to stop myself, <laughs> my excitement. Yeah. So what are the dominant leadership roles in your organization? 
Uh, well, and, and that heavily affects the things you do in HR. Okay, here is the next criteria I would like to look at, and this is pretty much to do something with uh, with uh, with uh, leadership. And one part of leadership might be trust. Now, I don't want to go too deep into trust. Trust is a big topic. Trust is that I can expect certain behavior of others, even though I do not know for sure that they're going to show this behavior, right? And, and it's informal. It's, it's not based on contracts. It's informal. I, I meet a person on the street and I predict that this person will not do me harm. And I sit into a, I sit into a car in my new Tesla <laughs> and I, I, I trust the car that it will not leave the road when I use autopilot. So I predict the behavior of a car. I cannot even trust in a car. Yeah? And, you know, that's something very essential. We, we as human beings could not live without trust. And there was this famous German sociologist called Niklas Luhmann. Might not be so well known internationally, but, but you know, in Germany he's a superhero in sociology And, and he wrote uh, a thick book about trust. It's a title of the book, Trust, Vertrauen in German, Vertrauen, Trust. And if you summarize this book into one single sentence, the sentence will be, trust reduces social complexity. Trust reduces social complexity. Trust, or in other words, Trust makes life easier. If you don't trust the people, if as a manager you do not trust your employees, your life can be damn complicated. Really. I mean, you have to check everything, you have to track everything, you have to keep up with your employees, you have to implement massive uh, control systems and whatever, Yeah. But if you can trust your people, your life is easier. So the question is, what is the level of trust? And of course, this goes a little bit along with what I have shared with you in the, in the, in the last episode, when we think about Douglas McGregor's Theory X and Theory Y. Theory Y is absolutely about trust. It goes along with that, of course. But now let's be more specific. And the question is, how much autonomy and self-regulation to do the employees face? Autonomy and self-regulation. Who, develop, who develops the rules with regards to working hours, for instance? Is it the people who define the rules? Or is it the upper management? It's not about the rule per se, by the way. It's about the question, who defines the rules? That's, that's the fundamental idea. I will come to this in a, in a later episode. So when it comes to working hour, flexibility, for instance, um, who decides upon this? The people or the CEO? <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, it sounds a bit like democratic procedure. And... And of course, yes, that goes into that direction. Do you have a kind of dictatorship in your organization? Or do you have a kind of particip participation? 
I do not like the word dem democracy in a in an organization context, uh, but yeah, you, you know what I mean. It, it's 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 uh, people participate in things, and they can bring in their own um, needs and preferences. And you know, there are companies where you have no flexible workplace. The people are supposed to work at a specific location let's say, in a specific office or at a specific machine. And you do this in a specific predefined time from 8 in the morning until 5 in the late afternoon. Every day, and it's predefined. And the one who defines this is not you. <laughs> and in some companies... You are told with whom you work. There is a fixed organization telling, look, these are the five people you work with. So if you have the idea to talk to somebody from R&D department, if you have the idea to share some thoughts with somebody from marketing department, you have to ask the boss. You do not just go there. And you, and you just do not just form teams because you have a good idea. <laughs> you you don't do this. So this is a fixed organization. But in some other companies, it's completely different. For many years, I was working with SAP. And SAP, you know how my onboarding program looked like? The onboarding program was my manager gave me a list of 40 names and says, okay, in the next two weeks, you're going to meet these 40 people. And these 40 people were spread across the organization. So I just built a network. And if you have, and you really learn that when you have an idea, think about with whom you might share this idea. And it does not matter in which uh, uh, department they work. So you just talk to the people horizontally and there are no borders. You define your social work environment. Of course, you work in a, in a formal team, but you, you, your world is the entire organization and you can walk around and you can work with every person you think it's necessary. And things will, will sort out. Of course, if a company is about 40,000 people, you will not never work with 40,000 people. Yeah. But it's you who defines with which people you're going to like to work. It's a flexible organization. So, Do we have fixed working condition with less autonomy and less self-regulation or do the people face much flexibility, autonomy and self-regulation? And, and really, I mean, that has an effect on many things in, in human resource strategy. Just to give you one example, when it comes to learning, I mean, you can handle learning in very different ways. One way is to say, look, John, I, as a manager, I have seen that you are not so good in uh, project management. Okay, so I, I, I have decided that you attend a project management course. Why? Because I say so. Because I think you, you better do this. And it's my role as a as a manager to take care for your learning. So, so here, here is the course. Uh, have fun. <laughs> uh, in a, in, a, in a company where you have a high level of autonomy and self-regulation, you would never, ever do this. You tell the people, hey, John, please learn. <laughs> it's your job to learn. It's part of your job, by the way. It's part of your responsibility to constantly learn. So you think by your own how you learn. And then you take the first steps. Look, here's the budget. 
just do what is necessary. You better know for yourself what 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 is good for you. And this was just a case about learning. Okay, I have to stop here. <laughs> uh, there are so many areas where autonomy and self-regulation can be mirrored uh, with regards to HR. Okay, here is the next criteria. In some companies, we really have a division of labor, meaning the people are supposed to work on their own thing and they are not supposed to talk to each other or to collaborate or whatever. We have divided labor. Um, and also, I mean, we, we use this term division or department and these words were not chosen randomly. They exactly describe the old world. We divide division it's divided it's a department it's departed it's separated and and in earlier days we were not even confused about this term yes of course we divide divide is good dividing things makes things more 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 efficient and that was true for many cases um, division of labor was one of the most important milestones in um, in in um, in the here in the industrial history to gain efficiency absolutely there's absolutely no doubt about it division of labor having people who are focused on just one or a few things made things faster and more efficient so it's not evil but the question is whether division of labor is appropriate and and in the last episode, I shared with you another criteria that a little bit goes along with this one here. Uh, we were talking about task certainty, and we learned that in many more organizations, you have tasks who are big. We have projects, and you have high level of uncertainty. You do not know the outcomes. You do not know the way to get there. So, uh, yeah, every task is an adventure. You have a high level of also complexity. So, if you if you want to solve complexity, if you have to deal with complexity, you, you better work in teams. So this is another chapter. We can talk. Uh, we could talk an hour about why it is better to have multiple brains in a team to solve a complex task. Uh, I don't want to go too deep into this, but, but probability that one in the team has the crucial idea is much higher when you are a team and when you have different perspectives within a hopefully diverse team. So with complex tasks, you, you, you better do not have a division of labor. You better have uh, uh, dynamic teams. You have task dynamic where you see the different tasks, the different responsibilities, the different things that we do are interrelated they are interrelated and not, and not separated. And you only can succeed as the system as a whole. That's the fundamental idea here. You cannot succeed alone. If you succeed, then the system was good. And, and this is again a question. What do you find in your organization? Do you have division of labor of that kind? Or do you have a high level of task dynamics? And again... You know, this has a lot of implications for HR. We're going to talk, for instance, about variable pay. Variable pay says, okay, the higher your performance, your individual performance, the higher your pay. That's the idea here. It's an uh, pay as an extrinsic motivator. Um, okay, 
in a in a um, in a w work setting where labor is divided, you can do this. Uh, okay, there, there are some more preconditions so that you can do this, but but at least this is one one precondition. If you have divided labor, you might think about uh, individual pay for performance. But once you are in team, once you work in a team and you have individual individual pay for performance, you might do a mistake. You might. The risk is high. I do not say that you do a mistake. You also do a mistake if you don't do this. But <laughs> okay, now I have to again stop my excitement. We're going to talk about this later. But once you work in teams and networks and you have a shared responsibility and only the system can succeed, you better do not primarily uh, reward individual behavior or individual performance. Okay, so you better consider this. And, and this is another cool example of how the context really matters for what you do in HR. Okay, so here is the last criteria. Um, and that's a very simple one from the idea. And I tried to really to put it extremely simple. But at the same time, it's very, very, very crucial. Yeah, and and in my eyes, uh, this is uh, uh, f uh, this is I'm really happy about this criteria because I think it's uh, it's uh, it's 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 the core. It's one of the cores that differentiate between uh, organizations that are that aim for stability and have a strong hierarchy versus so com those companies who want to be agile and think more in, in, in terms of networks. So here, here it comes. It's about the commitment of employees and teams. So I will stick to this for a while. Um, ask an employee in your organization. Hey, John. Yeah, John. Hey, I, I mean you. <laughs> can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. Okay, John, tell me. Uh, how can you tell whether or not you have make, made a good job? How can you tell this? How do you know? Okay? I mean, you might ask this yourself, you kind listener. Yeah. How can you tell whether or not you have done a good job? And some of you, or maybe John, will say, well, I have done a good job when my manager is happy. Okay? When my manager is happy, then I have done a good job. That would mean that... You think vertically, yeah. You are committed, dedicated to your supervisor. You do the things your supervisor wants. So probably the supervisor acts as a boss. Okay. So there might be a customer somewhere, but that does not matter in this particular moment. You are committed to your boss and not to the customer. And this is how how. Uh, very traditional hierarchical organization with silos work. When I say hierarchical, I always think, whenever I use this term hierarchical, I always think every organization is hierarchical. And I know this. Every, and I must be more precise here, every social system is hierarchical. There is no social system without hierarchy. But when we use this term hierarchical, we mean something special. And we mean exactly what I share here with you. It's the vertical thinking. This is what makes up 
hierarchical thinking. So in business terms, we say, well, this is a very hierarchical organization. We all have an idea what that is supposed to mean. Uh, but of course, every organization has a hierarchy. But in, in when, when we use this term in a business context, hierarchical, then we mean vertical thinking. People think vertically. They look upwards. They think upwards and they escalate upwards. And here is a very fundamental principle that I see as a psychologist here in this case. I mean, what does an employee do if he or she has to make a decision? You know, let's say the decision is a serious decision, a significant decision, and there is a certain risk that the decision you do might be wrong. Let's say you have to make a decision whether or not you spend 10,000 euro for something. Okay? 10,000 euro. As an employee, you might say, oh, 10,000 euro, that's a lot of money. I better ask my boss. Okay? Now you see? I better ask my boss. And you ask him, hey, boss, should, should I spend this 10,000 euro? And the boss says, oh, 10,000 euro, that's much money. Hmm, I don't know. I ask my boss. And the team leader will ask the, the head of department, hey, Mrs. Head of Department, should we spend the 10,000 euro? And then she might say, well, yeah, 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 do it. She might not even think about it. What goes on here? There is one fundamental principle. And the principle is that in hierarchical, vertically thinking organization, a decision is escalated to that level where the risk of the decision, the risk of making the decision is low enough for the one who is doing the decision. You see the point? For an employee, 10,000 euro, that's a serious, a decent decision. Uh, for the team lead, it's still a risky decision. For the department hand, Ah, just 10,000 euro. I mean, it's, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a not so risky decision. So better she does, he or she does the decision. But you know, that does not necessarily mean that the one who's making the decision is of highest capability for doing the decision. Very often the opposite is the case. The employee would have been the one who knows the best whether this is the right decision. But there is the risk of, of uh, making a wrong decision. And the risk of making a wrong decision is lower the higher it goes in the hierarchy. At least it is perceived as lower. And this is a fundamental principle in hierarchical companies that think vertically and where you have this kind of silos. Okay, um, The more complex a decision to be made, the higher it goes in the pyramid. Um, There are other companies who think completely different. They think more in a horizontal or lateral way. So if you ask the people in the organization, hey, John, how do you know whether or not you have made a good, uh, have done a good job? He might say, well, I've done a good job when my customer is happy. That also sounds reasonable, right? When my customer is happy. So, John, who is your customer? The, the customers of mine are the colleagues on the other side of the street, the marketing department, the R&D department, the outside customer. 
the real customer, the real client. They must be happy. And the more complex a problem is or the more risky a decision is to be made, the more people are involved. You see the difference? It's not that in, in, a, in a horizontal horizontally thinking organization, it's not that the, the decision goes upwards, it goes sidewards. It's the more complex, the more risk you face, the more complexity, the more risk you face, the more people are involved on same level. And, and that's, that's a reasonable idea. And, and what does the manager do? <laughs> what does the manager do? The manager or the supervisor just makes sure that exactly this happens. So if you, in this working setting, in this environment, in this context, when a team prepares something and shows it to the supervisor, asking this very often stupid question to the supervisor, hey, supervisor, is that concept okay with you? The supervisor in such a context will instantly say, I don't know. Did you show it to the customer for whom are you doing this? You don't know? Find it out. If there is no customer, your work is useless. So, okay, here's a customer. Who is your customer? Have you talked to the customer? Did you show it to the customer? Do they like it? If they like it, I like it as well. Oh, supervisor, we have a problem. It's really complex. I don't know what to do. Okay, you don't know what to do? You, John? Okay, With whom should you talk? Whom should you involve? Who has a clue? Who needs to be involved in this? Think about this and do not ask me. You see, this is, uh, this is, uh, I love this. <laughs> It's horizontal thinking, vertical thinking. So, again, this has a lot of implications for HR. Uh, I don't know where to start. <laughs> Uh, okay, let, let's let's talk about recruiting. In a vertical world, who makes the hiring decision? The boss. In a lateral working uh, uh, environment, who makes the hiring decision? The people, of course. Who decides upon variable pay in a vertical environment? The boss. Who decides upon variable pay in a lateral condition? The customer. Is that cool? I mean, and how can you how can you uh, build an HR strategy without understanding the context? I, I don't know, really. I don't know. So, here at the end, let's summarize. Um, first, there are companies that aim for conformity. They want that the people are all more or less uh, the same. Yeah. Like sheep. <laughs> And the executives receive the highest level of appreciation. And of course, the people, they are very dependent. They are small, not mature. You cannot trust themselves. And, you know, the people are very, very easy to be replaced Very easy to be replaced. Oh, by the way, this 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 uh, dimension I did not I did not talk about in this or in the previous episode. It's the employee dependency on who depend who is dependent on whom. 
And I did not do this because I talked about this in this episode about the critical roles and, and functions. And that's a crucial thing. Yeah. So is that the employees depend on their employer? Oh, I'm so lucky that I could work here. Otherwise, I would be unemployed. Or is it that the company depends on the people? Oh, we should make sure that we do not lose them because otherwise we have a serious problem. Okay. Your company might be about optimization, doing the same things, getting better every year, and task certainty is high. The people exactly know uh, what the outcomes are and, 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 and the ways to get there. Right? So this is one side. While the other companies, they are much more diverse. They appreciate individuality and the people are appreciated. And you can trust the people because the people are self-actualizing. And the people are, they, the company really depends on the people because they are very hard to be replaced. And we do disruptive work. We kill existing technologies and, and complexity is high and uncertainty is high. We do not know the outcomes and the ways to get there uh, for especially big tasks. And this goes on. We think in long cycle. That's the traditional way. We think in long cycles. The supervisor are superior. They are the masterminds. They act like bosses. The people do not have any level of autonomy and self-regulation. Yeah, it's everything is very fixed. And we divided the labor, of course. Everybody's doing his or her own work, and the people are very much dedicated um, to their bosses. Um, and when they do something good, they receive consequences from the bosses, uh, punishment and reward. Yeah, this is this world. While in the other world, you think in short cycle, on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, monthly basis, but not on an annual basis. And the people are the real experts. And you rather have managers who act like partner, coach, and enable. And the people have much autonomy. And they 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 have uh, they live based on a high level of self-regulation. Because the tasks are also very dynamic. You work in teams and networks. And the people think horizontally they think left and right towards their customer and not, and not upwards so you feel the difference and again this is black and white i know and very often in your company you have both sides or you have a mixture maybe i i, I know this yeah uh, it's not so easy but we have to start with black and white yeah And what you also realized is that these dimensions are not independent. So that's why I said it's not. Uh, it's these 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 different criteria uh, did not emerge as a result of a factor analysis or something like this. They are not independent. Uh, there were practical ideas behind because I see these criteria have very specific practical implications. That's why I put it that way, and I and I really must must rely on your on your on your patience that you will see. I will refer to these different criteria once at a time, and um, it's practical and not scientific. So these were two. A little bit longer episode about the context. And now, after having done the first seven episodes of this series, in the next episode, we're going to start with real human resource management. I, I really look forward to this. So, thank you and um, see you then. <laughs>